Well, hello, everyone. My name's JB. It is Thursday, May the 25th, and uh, I'm coming to you from my studio beneath the sky nestled here in the tall timbers of Colorado, and it's a gorgeous day out here. I was able to get out uh, yesterday uh, and do some work around the property and just thankful uh, for God's creation, thankful for all that, uh, the good weather that we've had here recently. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm, I'm glad to have my good friend Mark Fontecchio joining us once again from Return to the Word Ministries. That's returntotheword.com. He's also a pastor of Pioneer Baptist Church in uh, Wasilla, Alaska. And uh, so I'll bring him on here in just a moment, but we're going to be starting a new segment that we hope to uh, come back to a time or two in the future here. Uh, and that is uh, some of the most misinterpreted, uh, misunderstood passages in Scripture. And so we're just going to take a passage uh, each time, maybe not do this every week, but uh, as the Lord lays it on our heart, and uh, dissect it and explain why most people mishandle it and and really don't understand what's being uh, said there, because uh, obviously if you misunderstand a passage of Scripture or misinterpret it, then you're going to misapply it, and that's uh, what the goal of Bible study is, is to change our lives and apply it to our lives. So a couple quick uh, reminders here before I bring Mark on. Uh, we are leaving uh, for the Prophecy Conference in Tulsa Friday and Saturday this week. It's not too late to sign up for that. I encourage you to check that out at notbyworks.org. Uh, the right there, usually in the first place, maybe the second place on the highlight uh, promo carousel, you'll see a reference to that uh, conference. Uh, it's not live streamed, but I will be posting my two messages uh, shortly after the conference at the Not By Works website, the videos of those. So you can look forward to that. But if you're anywhere near Tulsa, Oklahoma, come on out and join us Friday and Saturday for the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. You'll get to hear uh, Andy Woods, uh, Charlie Bing, Tommy Ice, myself, and a few other great uh, speakers uh, talking about the winds of change and the God who never changes. That's the theme for this conference. And boy, there's a lot of change going on in this world. So uh, come on out and join us uh, for that this weekend. Uh, we've got uh, some other podcasts this week, of course, Prophecy Night from Tuesday, and also uh, on uh, Monday, uh, we had some some new content and new uh, podcast uh, there. So I've also written a new article uh, this week uh, entitled, uh, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. And I hope you'll check that out. All my articles are very short. It was picked up, uh, uh, last week's was picked up by Harbingers. I, I'm hoping this one will be as well. Um, but that'll encourage you, I think. Uh, and then uh, don't forget, uh, if you're in the Denver metro area, come join us on a Sunday at Plum Creek Chapel. Of course, I won't be there this Sunday, but we've got a great uh, message uh, planned from our associate pastor. Uh, and uh, love to have you join the fellowship there anytime you're in Town. So with that, uh, let me uh, turn our attention to the topic at hand. So glad to have uh, Mark Fontecchio uh, joining us. Mark, how you been? It's great to be with you, JB. I'm I've been really well. So it's summer in Alaska. It's hard not to be well when it's summer in Alaska. I know. Yeah, our folks can't uh, see you, but uh, I can because we're doing this interview by Zoom. And I noticed the short sleeve shirt. That's uh, what one or two days a year you get to wear <laughs> short sleeves up there, or what? Yesterday, I was out working in the garden. I actually had short shorts on for the for my pants. So it's it's wonderful. Well, it that is that is an image happen. that nobody needs to yeah. have uh, you in shorts. But uh, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Hey, listen, I think it was a great idea. I think you and I talked about this a couple of days ago. Um, you know, we, we uh, what I love about your 
uh, partnership and ministry and our friendship and ministry is that you are a, a student of the word. You're, you're just a top tier Bible expositor in my view. I'm not just trying to give you the big head, uh, but uh, we've collaborated on a number of uh, projects and worked together in a variety of roles. And I just really appreciate your uh, skills, your exegetical skills. And so um, over the years, I've kind of noticed, and I'm sure you have too, that there are a number of passages of Scripture that are very commonly mishandled. Uh, people will quote them or put them on bumper stickers or on a poster, and and they really are quoting them out of context and not applying them correctly. And so I'd love to just have a dialogue with you uh, on our podcast uh, from time to time about some of these passages. And today, uh, you and I have chosen a passage that I think really deserves to be at or near the top of the list of most misinterpreted passages of Scripture, and that is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. And of course, uh, this is from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's near the end of Matthew's account of that uh, famous uh, message that Jesus gave on the hillside that day. Uh, he gave it early in his ministry. Matthew records it right out of the chute as we kind of piece together the synoptic Gospels. We know it probably happened more closer to a year into his ministry, uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, just a, a powerful message to kind of uh, make Matthew's point in his theological argument in the book of Matthew. And so uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of set the stage for us, and then I'll let you uh, drive, and I'll provide some some navigation along the way and some commentary along the way. But tell us uh, a little bit about the context of Matthew 7, and then uh, kind of go into how this is commonly misunderstood and misapplied, and then we'll take a look at what it really means. Sounds good, JB. I'm really glad that we came to this uh, particular topic and, and Bible passage to study, just because I know how much of a problem in ministry Whenever you start talking about the gospel of Christ, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ as defined in the word of God, you come to inevitably Matthew 7. You will, and, and maybe they don't know where it is, right? But they'll say, well, didn't Jesus say you will know them by their fruits? And that's kind of what we're driving at today is to correctly understand this text and see what Jesus is really saying rather than just go along with the flow of the, of the mantra. Um, I, I remember that just about it seems about seven eight years ago i was out mowing my lawn and i met a new neighbor his his uh cover for his grill had blown away in a windstorm and it came over to my yard and i was returning it to him and he goes aren't you a pastor i go i sure am and his very first question he goes what does it mean in matthew 7 when it says <laughs> you know by their fruits and and he goes because my pastor is teaching he's going after a lot of the popular radio hosts he's teaching that you can be a fruit inspector. And by that, you can know whether someone is really, truly saved. And we dialogued about this and we came to a really good understanding. But I think the key, I, I'm glad what you said, JB, just a minute ago is about the context, because if we don't set this up into context, we're, we're going to be guilty of just going off in a wrong direction. Um, and so certainly we, we call this the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I really think we, we, well, let's, yeah, let's no. just, yeah, I was just going to say, you, our minds are, are scarily similar here. Let's yep. go ahead and read the passage because we That's don't want to take do. for granted that people know, know the passage. But yeah, go ahead and read the passage and then pick up with the context. All right, so we'll, we'll start in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you. And that's a key phrase already. I know I'm supposed to be reading the con- but the passage, but I just can't help myself. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And you can see how that's misunderstood. And then in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Context, context, context. And I I think that even starts right away in that verse 15, right away when we start to say, beware of false prophets. Christ is warning the gathering of the crowd that was gathering about false prophets. That's specifically what he's gathering in con in, in warning about in context. He's not talking about, um, you know, 2000 years later in your church. Uh, this is the litmus test to see whether, you know, aunt Betty next to you in the pew is actually saved. He's talking about warning about false prophets, but I think, and you would agree. I know JB because our minds are so similar. We have to back up further. I think we have to go further back just a couple chapters to set up the whole thing um, and, and understand, you know, what was he really doing in the Sermon on the Mount? What was he really doing? And he was addressing the Pharisees, of course. The Pharisees were those whitewashed tombs, Jesus calls them later, whitewashed. Um, and he's addressing them and he's trying to just point out what sin is, that sin is not outward, but sin is inward of the heart. And that outward performance cannot get you into heaven. So I, I just think that's a key. And um, yeah, let me add, let me add to that too, real quick. Uh, and I talked about this coincidentally on uh, on Monday. I was on uh, Unrestricted Truths with James Grunvig, and I didn't know he was going to do this, but he sort of led into me introducing me on that TV show with a reference to the meek will inherit the earth, and and asked me my thoughts on that, which of course comes right <laughs> out of the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, as Mark said, you know, Jesus is. He's addressing the crowds, at least, you know, contextually in the way Matthew explains it in that historical setting, but yet clearly he's targeting the Pharisees, and you kind of get this mental picture of them standing in the background, listening and hanging on every word Jesus is saying. They they followed him around. They were quite concerned with the crowds that he was gathering by this time, and of course he was saying a lot of things that, that uh, ran counter to their false understanding of the law by that point in the first century, and so you kind of get this mental picture that they're standing in the background, sort of arms crossed, uh, stern looks on their face. And it's very evident as you read through the whole Sermon on the Mount that the things Jesus is saying is directed at them and their false understanding of what it's going to take to get into the kingdom. Amen. And that is the reason why you see um, in places like in chapter five, he said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if that's a litmus test, 
if that's a litmus test for salvation, well, every guy has just eliminated himself from eternal life. Because if we're going to be honest, that that's something that happens. Yeah. Lust, um, lust is lust. an internal, you know, yep. uh, issue. And so you're right. Good point. And, and I think he does it the, the same thing right after that in verse 29, where he talks about a lot of people struggle to understand this, you know, about the right eye. If you, if it causes you to sin, should you pluck it out? And did Jesus mean that, you know, we got to be literal, right? <laughs> they, they overemphasize that fact. And then they'll say, well, he said, pluck it out, cast it out for it's more profitable for you than if one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast into hell. And, and so you know, that raises the question, do we need to start plucking out our eyes to get into the well, kingdom? Origin, the church father thought so, and that's, right. that's why he plucked exactly. out his eye, and, and he was, you know, uh, ironically, the, the one of the early uh, allegorical uh, uh, advocates to allegorical scripture. So, uh, yeah, what does that mean? We, 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 we can't hang on every verse here as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, but now that you've teased us with gouging out our eyes, what do, what's he talking about there? Well, he's just saying that if you, you know, it's it's better to take drastic measures to to and you need faith. Righteousness is ultimately what we're building to that you are not. And that that's what we're building to is you cannot overcome um, the, the sin nature without faith. Righteousness, which uh, we're going to get to in just one second. So, yeah, those verses are so um, if you have two eyes and you haven't plucked out one of your eye, be thankful that you're listening to this podcast and you're learning about grace. Right. Yeah, um, Jesus was saying sin is serious and sin is serious. and, yep. and it, it separates you from a holy God. And, you know, uh, if in the Pharisees view, it was all external, as long as they dotted their I's and crossed their T's, dressed appropriately, said loud prayers, gave clanging change into the money collector's bucket, you know, uh, then they would be okay. And he said, well, if that's the case, go ahead, pluck out your eyes, you know, and, and you got to take sin serious. And the only way to ultimately as you just said, deal with sin is through faith. It's by faith that we're uh, declared righteous before a holy God. And I think there's two, and I know you agree with this because I've heard you teach on this as well, but there's two key passages in the Sermon on the Mount that help us to really navigate the whole teaching and to understand what this is really about. Certainly one is found in verse 20 of chapter five, where Jesus said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, why would it need to um, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Well, simply because they were external. It was all outwards-based works, and Christ is looking for that faith righteousness, that, that righteousness that can only come through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and I think the other, the other uh, verse that we would say that drives our understanding of the Sermon on the Mount is found in uh, the end of Matthew chapter five in verse 48, where he says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So um, unless you're perfect, <laughs> you're not you're not going to end up in heaven. And certainly the only way to have a uh, perfect standing before Christ is by faith in his death and resurrection for our sins, where we attain the righteousness of Christ. And I think to understand this concept, we have to think of something that Christ said way over in Matthew 23, outside of the Sermon on the Mount. But remember what he said to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So I think that is 
just part and parcel to what we're talking about, that this is about outward religion. It's about outward looks. It's about the, the person today that would dress up to go to church in a three-piece suit, but has no faith inside their heart. They're not reconciled to God by the gospel. Maybe they got, you know, uh, a little bit more legalistic bent on this and that, and they think they're earning their salvation by some good works. They're, they're, they're outwardly dead. Yeah. You know, they may, they may look like it, but they're dead. Yeah. I would summarize it, the message of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole this way. It's not what you do that matters. It's what's in your heart. It's a matter of belief. And, uh, and, and these Pharisees uh, thought that they could earn a right standing before God by their behavior. And that's why, as you said, Jesus points out that you've really got to do better than that. And, and I'm sure that the, uh, the crowd uh, probably gasped when he said that, because <laughs> yeah. even though they, they didn't like the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees lorded it over them, they nevertheless theologically sort of thought that these were the ones that were going to be first in line to get into the kingdom, that they they aspired to be like them. If they could only dress like them and look like them and act like them and be as good as them, they would they would be first in line as well. And so they should have known, obviously, going all the way back to uh, the call of Abraham, uh, you know, the father of the Jewish nation, they he was justified, declared righteous by faith. And in fact, everyone from Adam forward is always declared righteous before a holy God the same way, by faith. But yet, through you know hundreds of years of bad teaching, by the time Jesus came on the scene, the Jews had twisted the law, they distorted it, they had come up with 613 clarifications of it, and convinced themselves, and certainly the Jewish teachers, the scribes, had convinced the, the common folk that really it was about your behavior and so Jesus really issues a scathing indictment throughout the Sermon on the Mount that that's not the case. And so let's skip ahead to the end of the story with that general background. And here is where I believe he 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 sort of turns his gaze upon the Pharisees directly as he's talking to the crowds. And he says, "Be as the passage we're focusing on, beware of false prophets. In other words, these folks that that you're listening to are wrong, and let me tell you how you can identify them. So pick us up now with uh, Matthew seven fifteen and see what uh, what Jesus has to say. Well, can we just take a step back for two seconds? Just two seconds. I know time's moving on. I'm guilty of that all the time, JB, and I, I'm a I'm a guy that it's you know what they say about preachers. You, you give me a week, I can give you a 30 minute sermon. You give me two weeks, I can get it down to 25. You give me three weeks, I can get it down to 20. So, yeah, that's how it goes. Um, but, you know, I think the context of verse 15 is the two verses immediately before that, where he starts talking about enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And I think that really perfectly sets the context of verse 15, because um, I would say it's the predatory nature of the Pharisees about how smug they were, about how self-righteous they were in their own attitude, about how they were just uh, so prideful. And I, by the way, I think there's a warning to us in the church there today. Um, we see this in Alaska sometimes, somebody that'll come in from Bush, Alaska, that maybe they have one pair of clothes and they they stink a little bit and they don't have a lot and they got a jalopy of a car and, 
you know, and we can kind of just judge them. But sometimes it's uh, that's just as wrong as this. Right. And, well, yeah, and what's interesting is James, the Lord's brother, who many people have pointed out his letter, which was probably one of the first letters written in the New Testament, along with Matthew, uh, parallels the Sermon on the Mount beautifully. And sure does. Course, what does he say there? I think it's in chapter two uh, about you know, showing partiality to people that come in among you and they may not be as finely dressed as you. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you see that, but I, I think that's what Jesus is. And I liked what you said earlier, JV too, about, um, you know, sin is really of, of the heart, because I think if, if, you know, you and I uh, both understand that Matthew five through seven is really primarily in context about, you know, if you want to get to heaven, Right. Your your righteousness needs to be faith. Righteousness and needs to exceed uh, that of the Pharisees. But however, by way of application, we would say for the church, for church age believers listening to this, sin is of the heart. Sin is of the heart. So we get kind of almost mystical with our approach to sin. But it's real. And then, then we get back into legalism with it. And it's just of the heart. So anyways, so started here in verse 15 to get to what, what we're talking about. Um, the false prophets, I, I think anybody that's at home, and if you have your Bible out, I would underline those words, false prophet. I would absolutely, because that is the context. Um, and they come in in sheep's clothing. Uh, and so meaning they look right. And certainly he's, he, as you said before, he's looking right at the Pharisees. I mean, he's, he's, he's got them in his cross sites. Um, and I think it's important to remember how the Old Testament prophets were treated. Um, certainly you see that in Deuteronomy, that um, the Old Testament prophets, if they spoke a, a, a lie, they were they were killed. Um, here he's saying, hey, they're based on the two verses before this. He's saying the, the path that they are putting down is wide. It's a wide path, but it's just going to leave lead to destruction. It's salvation on works is specifically, if we're going to narrow that down, that path is salvation by works. And certainly don't we see exactly that today, that the path, um, how many churches are peddling a salvation by works gospel? Yeah, it's so. been the age-old attack on the gospel from the beginning of the church. You know, Paul's first letter, right out of the chute, in the first few verses, he talks about false gospels that were works-based and that were turning grace on its head. But, you know, I love the way verse 15, again, this comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which Mark uh, and I both commented the whole Sermon on the Mount message is a juxtaposition between faith, righteousness, and self-righteousness. Only one will get you into the kingdom of heaven. But here at the end, he explicitly explains the different the, the contrast. He says he, he's contrasting their outward look based on their clothing with their inward, uh, you know, heart. Uh, outwardly, they look like sheep. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. So there you have it. There's the that's you know sort of the the contrast that he's uh, making here. So continue, Mark. Yeah, and he you know it's interesting because the verse starts with the word beware. And most Bible readers will just skip right over that. Well, he, he said, beware, you know, he said, beware, watch out for him. Um, and somehow we're still taking this passage in most churches today about, you know, it's right to look at your neighbor's sins and see if they're really saved or not. But he's saying, watch out for false prophets, watch out for false prophets. Notice that in the text in verse 15, he says, they'll, they'll come to you. They're not sent by God. They'll come to you. Um, 
and they pretend to be gentle, harmless, but they're destructive. And I, I believe that in a lot of ways, men like this are the worst enemy that we have. If not the worst, they're up at the top of the list, certainly, because they drive people away and they, they look like believers. They talk like believers, act like believers. But how do you recognize them? That's the question. How do you recognize them? And that that brings you to verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Seven, seven words here. You will know them by their fruits but so much theological impact, just incredible how much theological impact. And I think the most important question that we can ask when we look at that is, what did Jesus mean by fruit? What, what did he mean by fruit? And uh, just to remind, remind people that Lordship Salvation teaches that if your faith is real, you will have some measure of real spiritual fruit in your life. And it's not that you should have spiritual fruit like Ephesians 2. It's that you will have spiritual fruit. And I just wish they would define how much is enough so that way I could. And that's the problem, right? What does some measure mean? So, yeah, Mark, I, I think identifying the fruit is the key. Most people look at this passage and they say, oh, fruit is behavior. It's, you know, it's what you're doing, how you're acting. And but the first verse that we just that Mark just explained prohibits that from being the case because he's already told you outwardly you're not going to be able to recognize them outwardly they're going to look like sheep it's only when you pay attention to the fruit well what is the fruit of a false prophet and I, i'm gonna uh, steal mark's thunder a little bit here but jesus uses the same exact analogy a little bit later in his earthly ministry and we record this in matthew chapter 12 and he explicitly explains what fruit is fruit is what you say. Fruit is what comes out of the mouth, which is perfectly logical when you're trying to recognize true or false prophets. How are you going to do that? You're going to listen to what they're saying. And so, you know, when people suggest that you can look at a person's behavior and determine whether they're a Christian or not, they are actually turning this passage on its head. Uh, Jesus is saying just the opposite. You won't be able to tell based on their behavior whether they're a real prophet or not, but if you listen closely to the fruit that comes out of their mouth, then it begins to become clear. And, and that's really what Jesus was, was, was saying here. So uh, verse 16, by their fruits uh, you will know them, and then he uses a metaphor in, at the end of verse 16 and into verse 17, all the way into verse uh, 18, but continue with with his application here of that principle. Well, certainly, and I think you um, nailed it right on the head there with Matthew chapter 12. We can we can prove that the teaching here, and I think that's a critical element that you can absolutely prove from Matthew 12. Uh, we, we're not left guessing, but you can prove that it is about the words they speak not not just actions, not just how people are living their lives, outward indicators. You know, if I mow my neighbor's lawn, uh, just, you know, I have elderly neighbors that live next door. If I mow her lawn out of the goodness of my heart, you can't tell them if I'm doing that for that reason or because she's paying me $100 a time. You don't know. You just don't know. Maybe it's greed is the motive. Maybe it's because God's moving me, right? So you can't know. But... um. Here he says in, in Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruits. You will recognize them. So unless a person knows someone's heart 
this doesn't apply if it's if it's taken a typical lordship salvation way it's impossible but it is absolutely possible if the teaching is as it is that you will know them by their fruits which is are their words they speak their doctrine they teach you will know them by the doctrine the words they speak and that's that's something that's actually desperately needed in the church today people uh, knowing and examining and being good Bereans of scriptures, knowing what's going on doctrinally. So um, we'll just skip down here in the, in the text, but, um, it, you know, and it's kind of, he puts forth in verse 16, it's kind of interesting. He puts forth an absurd thought. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's got a little bit of light, light humor in the Bible there. Um I'm I'm looking forward to meeting the Savior face to face just to see some of the uh, the personality because I don't think he was always as stoic as we as we uh, as we think. Um, and then he continues, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And we need to be so careful with this about our cross references at this point. Um, this is certainly this would be not. Uh, a good reference to uh, and I see a lot of people doing this that they will say see the word fruit and so then they jump over to what passage of course Galatians 5 and they jump over and they say well this is the fruit of the spirit for the believer and so therefore this must mean Christians must have fruit and we got to inspect their fruit and nothing could be further from the truth that's that's just a uh, um, uh, uh, bad 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 cross reference yeah i mean it's totally uh a metaphor i mean he's not talking about literal thorn bushes or literal thistles or literal figs or literal grapes or literal fruit or trees he's just making a a, a very vivid word picture here uh, to illustrate that a false prophet cannot produce good sound teaching what comes out of a false prophet's mouth cannot be good if, in fact, inwardly they are a ravenous wolf. So, you know, a, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's let's jump to verse 19, because here's where people really go off the rails in their interpretation of this passage. For some reason, Every time we see the word fire, we think hell. And as I mentioned, he's not talking about literal trees and literal fruits and literal axes no, no. and literal chainsaws here, uh, and nor is he talking about literal fire. He's just saying, uh, well, you tell us, Mark, tell us how you would apply this uh, these these verses. Well, certainly, um, you know, every tree, well, a lot of people, a lot of people jump over to uh, uh, John to the, where where John was talking about it in John 15 and I'm not sure that that's such a good cross reference there either no it's the same uh, thing in, in John yep. 15 the the vine and the branches it's also a metaphor he's not talking about literal vines exactly he's not talking about hell there he's just saying that in the same way that a tree that's not bearing fruit is useless a false prophet who's not prophesying accurately is useless that's the bottom line yep exactly. And I think that that key word that you put is useless. Certainly, we we see that uh, all throughout Scripture. We see that in in James two. We would say that that's a correct interpretation there. Um, what does it profit, right? What what use is it? 
What use is it? And that's that's really what we're saying here that that Christ is saying here in in Matthew is what what use. And so and certainly we see that. And, you know, a distinction in in Galatians five between the fruit that's being talked about just to give the audience an understanding of what we're talking about there. um, Paul is talking about the fruit that the spirit brings in my life. But it, as a believer, and he's talking to you, JB, and and in the next person, the next believer, right? It's not about in that about being a fruit inspector of somebody else. It is about what God is doing in your life. There's nowhere in that text he says, "Okay, these are the fruits of you know this is the fruit of the spirit. Go ahead now and start looking at the person in the pew next to you." No, not at all. It's written as an encouragement so you can identify in your own life because you know the counsels of your heart, but you can't know the counsels of the heart of someone else. And yeah, it comes I mean, back to that. It's a it's a common metaphor because in the first century, you know, they didn't have near the distractions that we have today. They couldn't run to Walmart or their local grocery store and buy food. I mean, they they were living in a culture where they got their food from trees and from vines and from, you know, uh, fruit trees and so forth. And so it was a very common metaphor, and Jesus uses it in a variety of different contexts. And in Galatians, he's talking about how the, the new man in Christ is going to produce practical righteousness that flows from the positional righteousness that's in us through faith and the old man is going to produce you know you know f- uh, fruit of the flesh uh, e- you know evil behavior that that is rooted in the old man and the sin nature and the fleshly nature that's all he's talking about there uh, there's no connection just because he uses the same metaphor to what Jesus is saying here about the false prophets so we're we're getting ahead getting behind on time here so let me let me summarize this first little section and then I'll turn it back to you to talk about how he kind of makes a pointed application in beginning in verse 21. So Matthew 7, 15, verses 15 to 20, Jesus is simply saying, beware of false prophets who outwardly appear to be good, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And if you listen carefully, you will be able to identify the fruit, which Jesus elsewhere explicitly explains, is in the same context of identifying false prophets, Matthew 12, is what comes out of their mouth. So listen carefully to what they're saying and see if it comports with God's word in the Old Testament uh, about how you become righteous. You don't become righteous based on how you look, what you wear, what you do. Uh, You become righteous by believing the gospel. And so he concludes that section with, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them, these false prophets. And then he segues right out of that into the real crux of the matter, which is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So tell us about that, Mark. Yeah, absolutely, JB. You hit a home run on that. That that was good teaching, and that is exactly what he's talking about. The words spoken, examine the prophet, examine the word spoken, examine the doctrine being taught with the precious word of God. And I think he's just warning. He's warning of in the last uh, three verses that we're looking at, 21, 22, and 23, he's warning about people like the Pharisees that, yes, they may look right. They may act apart. They may have the robes. Uh, but if it's all external, if it's just external, they're they're going to be sadly disappointed when they stand before Jesus Christ. And, and I think that is unfortunately where a lot of the 
uh, religious establishment today is headed. As we get closer to the time of the tribulation and we get closer to this world ecumenical religion that leads into the religion of the Antichrist and the false prophet. So I think that that's certainly we're seeing that more and more today. We've seen it all throughout church history, of course, um, but we're seeing it more and more. And so wide, wide is the gate that leads that way where we focus on the externals instead of the internals. And it, it comes back to faith. It comes back to righteousness in Christ. It comes back to that living relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And these these uh, Pharisees were going around naming the name of the Lord. They were saying, Lord, Lord, uh, but their heart was far from him. And when he says uh, that only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, it's, it's funny, if you cross-reference, Jesus tells us exactly what that is in John chapter 6, verse 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. So that's what these Pharisees didn't do. They weren't believing in Jesus unto eternal life. Uh, they thought they could work their way uh, into it. And then this is one of the most sad, one of the saddest statements in, in, in Scripture when Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So again, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is it's it's not what you do that matters, it's who you know. You know it's who you know. Do you know Jesus? These, these unbelieving Pharisees who three years later would actually crucify Jesus in, in uh, uh, concert with the Roman authorities, uh, they didn't know him. They thought they had a relationship with God through their works, but as Jesus says, it's not through your works— uh, you have to be perfect. And the only way to be perfect, uh, according to Matthew 5.48, Jesus says you have to be perfect. The only way to be perfect is to have the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you by faith. And so, uh, Mark, any more comments on the last part of the, that, that section there before I wrap us up? Well, I think you hit it right on the head when you said that uh, just, just how sad those words will be. I never knew you. I never knew you so sad so desperate at that point but it's too late and i you know i have i have um seen plenty of men in my day that have walked the role of the pharisee and i've seen it in my own family i had an extended family member who taught a sunday school at a pot apostate church I've taught over 100 100 people every week at this apostate church but didn't know jesus christ mm. and and so you you know you you need to listen to the doctrine and it's remarkable to me it's remarkable to me that those that take this as a test of salvation by their fruit, they take that out of context. Those that take this as a test of salvation are really missing the actual intended meaning of the text. And that's yeah. the saddest part. That's the saddest, saddest part. It is. And Jesus uses the same language at the end of his ministry in the Olivet Discourse when he's once again talking and pleading with the Jewish leaders of that day who within two days would have led him up the Via Dolorosa to the cross where he died for the sins of the world. Uh, he pleads with them uh, to make sure they believe in him. And, and he, he gives that parable of the 10 virgins and uh, the five foolish virgins represent unbelieving Israel there. And, and they didn't have the one thing that was necessary to get them into heaven, which was faith. And he says at the end of that parable, um, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And so, uh, you know, this is the message 
really, of the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, what's very interesting to me as we wrap up here is that the very next thing that Matthew records coming out of the Sermon on the Mount is a dialogue that Jesus had with a Gentile, a centurion, about his son. And the, the, the centurion, who was a Gentile, believed in Jesus to heal his son, and, and Jesus commends the faith of that centurion. He says, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel. And that's sort of a an in-your-face, once again, to these unbelieving uh, Jewish leaders. I mean, they looked down upon these dirty, rotten, filthy Gentiles. And for Jesus to be claiming that they have more faith than the 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 the, the Jews, uh, that this Gentile has more faith than the Jews is, is really profound. And so, again, it all comes down to faith righteousness versus self-righteousness. Um, this passage, uh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits is commonly misinterpreted by people to say we can tell whether someone's a Christian or not by looking at their behavior. That is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. The only way you can tell whether someone knows the Lord or not is by listening to their words and their testimony. And if they uh, if they claim that they are trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only one who can forgive sin and give them the gift of eternal life, then you have a pretty good indication they're a believer. Uh, it's not based on their good works, because as Mark said, a person can do good things and not be a Christian, and a person can be a Christian and do bad things. So we definitely do not want to validate or invalidate a person's faith based on what we see outwardly, because, uh, you know, Christians can sin. Uh, that's uh, that's for sure. So if you're listening to the program today, uh, first of all, if you're a believer, I hope that you have a clearer understanding of this by their fruits, you will know them passage and uh, can apply it more accurately in the future and stop using it to justify the, the all the fruit inspecting that Mark talked about uh, that goes on uh, customarily in the body of Christ. But if you've stumbled upon this podcast and you're not a believer, I just pray that you've really heard the gospel that is the power of God to salvation, and you recognize that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and that the only way that your sin uh, can be remedied and forgiven, the only way that you can be righteous enough to enter heaven someday is by placing your faith in the righteous one himself, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for your sins. So, Mark, any closing thoughts? By the way, great job today. I mean, what a a, a powerful... Uh, um, application from this passage, as well as a good uh, treatment and handling of what it means in context. Yeah, I love being with you, uh, not by works, and I love being with your audience. I, I keep hearing every time I come on, not by works, I, I actually hear from people in Alaska uh, that they've been listening. So a shout out to the people in Alaska that are listening to not by works, just excited about your ministry. And I guess my my closing thought would be the words of Paul from 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, where he says, test all things, hold fast what is good. Amen. And that's what we're going to hope to do in, in coming podcasts. Uh, as the Lord lays it on our heart, we're going to come back to you uh, with some more passages of Scripture that are commonly misinterpreted and and try to set the record straight uh, from from God's Word. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, again, I uh, uh, want to thank our listeners for listening. We, uh, we love you. We appreciate you. It's such a joy uh, to be uh, in the ministry and to be working with uh, the folks at Not By Works Ministries. I, I was talking to someone today on the phone, uh, a, a dear friend and colleague in ministry uh, who's going through a struggle, and I just was reminded what a blessing it is. We have the greatest constituents. Uh, no no uh, 
uh, offense intended to Mark and the return to the Word family. But I tell you what, the NBW Ministries family, uh, you know, we've been in ministry with this ministry since 1999, and it never ceases to amaze me how gracious and uh, encouraging our, our group is. So reach out to us anytime. Uh, at notbyworks.org. You can email us. You can email Brooke, um, my daughter, and also our uh, operations manager at the ministry. Anything we can do for you, we'd love to to help out. Uh, we also appreciate and need your your support, your prayers, and we're thankful for that. Got some exciting things coming down the pike for this summer, and looking forward to what the Lord's going to do uh, as He as we remain faithful to what He's entrusted to us. We're we're trusting His promise to increase that stewardship, and we know uh, that He will. So, Mark, once again, thanks uh, for being with us. Thank you, JB. It's always an honor. Have a great uh, rest of the week and weekend, and uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing those of you in Tulsa that are going to be there uh, tomorrow and Saturday. What a great day that's going to be. And otherwise, we will see you guys next time on our next podcast or video. God bless.